Good morning, Restore. Hope you guys stayed cool this week. And I didn't go through too many power outages. I heard a bunch of people uh, had rolling power outages this week. Um, if you are new here this morning, my name is Justin. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, and we are exploring over the next couple of weeks the book of Mark. Uh, the book of Mark is basically, it's one of your four Gospels that were written, um, but out of all of the Gospels that were written, it's your shortest one. Uh, it was the one that was written closest to basically the time of Jesus, and so it's a pretty like straightforward, this is what happened, uh, this is as Mark kind of sees it, he doesn't add in a whole lot of um, theology, if you will, or kind of uh, deep understanding, he sort of just records the facts as they are. Uh, which I both love and then also don't love because you guys know I make things more complicated than I should uh, theologically. And so sometimes Mark uh, feels a little bit like stripped down to me, but there's also something really beautiful about that. And so this morning, uh, we're going to be in a pretty famous episode in Mark, and this is the denial of, of Jesus by Peter. But one of the things that we're going to look at this morning uh, is what does God do uh, with our basic, our, basically our toxic spirituality? L like, what does God do with our failures? Like, what does God do uh, when we are a disappointment to him? What does God do uh, when we don't measure up? But not only is it not, and I'm not talking about just like, I messed up here and I failed, but I'm talking about the times where like in our own just brokenness, in our own sinfulness, in our own weakness, in our own insecurities, we end up making decisions sort of knowing that this isn't the right thing, but we do it anyway. What does God do for us then? Like, how does God approach us then? So I think this is um, one of the things that as we ask this question, um, what, we're, what we're really kind of driving at here uh, is what does God think of me uh, when like I fail him? And then on top of that, when I am approaching God, right, when I'm asking him for things or I'm praying through things, what does he do when he sees like the deeper longings of my heart uh, not being real? Like I'm asking for something and he doesn't answer that. It, what is, why doesn't he answer that? Okay, the reason I bring both of these up is because these two questions are related. What does God do in my failures and why doesn't God uh, answer or meet or make whole the deeper longings of my heart? These two things are often connected for us. Because more often than not, when we feel like God has uh, not answered our prayers, not fulfilled our longings, not seen us for who we are, it's usually because we feel like we haven't measured up, we have failed in some way, he's punishing us, like he's withdrawing from us to teach us some kind of lesson. And so this morning, as we're in the text that we're in, I want to ask these two things kind of in tension with each other. What does God do when I fail? And what happens when he doesn't answer the deepest longings of my heart, seemingly? And are these two things connected to one another? The ways in which I feel lonely or isolated from God or disappointed uh, in, in God or the ways that I feel like he doesn't see or hear me, is this connected to the way that I've related to him, the way that I've served him, the way that, he, uh, like the way that I have failed him in some kind of way? And so the text that we're in this morning is going to be uh, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, and I'm going to read it for us. It's going to be behind me on the screen as well. 
When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the others said the same. They went to the place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, um, as we explore um, what it means to be loved by you in the midst of our failures, as we explore what it means to have parts of our hearts that aren't healed, that aren't made whole, that aren't restored, that are seemingly ignored by you, deep longings of our hearts that we seem to know you could fix but don't, we wrestle with these two things, Father. As Mark shows us, these two things are deeply and closely connected to one another. So this morning, would you help us? Would you help us with your love? Would you help us with grace? Would you help us understand our own sense of failure, our own sense of inadequacy? We love you, Father, and we need you. Would you show us how to love you more? I pray these things in your name. Amen. So, so the first thing that I really I want to point out uh, is that we start to see Peter uh, display what I would call like toxic spirituality. He has no real idea like who he is. He has no real idea what he's capable of and what he's not capable of. So Jesus starts out by quoting Isaiah. He says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He's implying that Jesus, he's, Jesus is hinting to them that I'm going to my crucifixion. And when that happens, all of you are going to split. All of your faithfulness, all of your learning, all of your theological understanding, all of your convictions, all of the ways that you have followed me, all of the ways that I have invested in you, none of that's going to matter when it matters most. You aren't going to follow through with the commitments that you've made. Okay, so, so I want to just like stop here for a second um, and, and just think about this. When Jesus says, 
you aren't going to follow through with it. Like, you will fail. All the ways that I have invested in you and built conviction in you and tried to bring about change and restoration and wholeness in you, when it actually comes to the moment when it matters most, you aren't going to follow through. This is what Jesus has just told them. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Jesus declares, even if all fall away, I will not. And then Jesus actually elevates, like he escalates the language a little bit. He says, truly I tell you, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows, it's not just that you're going to fall away. It's not just that you're going to get overwhelmed in a weak moment and take off. You are going to intentionally and willfully deny me. It's not just that, like, you're going to be able to say, I got scared and I got overwhelmed and I'm sorry. Like, there's going to be an intentionality in the ways that you are going to betray me with what's coming. You will deny me. Jesus is actually, it's, it's subtle for us, but I want us to see that Jesus is actually escalating this. He's not saying, it's not just like, you're going to have this moment and be like, oops, I should have gone left and I went right instead. They're going to have this moment where like, you're going to actually deny me. There's going to be intentionality to the ways that you are going to hurt me, miss me, fail me on your part, Peter. You're going to deny me. And so what happens here, like why I want to call this like toxic spirituality, um, if you will, or, or, or uh, like shallow theological theology, if you will, or spirituality, if you will, is Peter has no idea like who he is. He has no idea um, what he's actually capable of. More than that, he has no idea what his actual desperate need is. He has no idea how desperate he is, how fragile he is, how much in need he is, how vulnerable he is. Instead, he's made these sort of like false claims of like, I will never. And I think for most of us, actually, our spirituality gets very close to Peter most of the time. This is why John's included this story here is every single one of us in this room feels like there's parts of our spirituality that we're kind of on top of, okay? Like, I've got this. And then I look at all these other people, like I look at all these other ways that all these other Christians or all these other churches or, or my family or my friends or all, whoever, the people in my small group, uh, don't. But I, I've got some real spiritual weight here. I've got some real spiritual uh, competency here. And this is where the danger lies. When you begin to see yourself as spiritually competent in an area, it's not because you have something that everybody else doesn't. You're just not, you're just, your inclination to struggle is just different than others. When we begin to see ourselves as spiritually competent, like spiritually capable, no longer in need, it's not because there's something special about us. It's not because we're more dedicated, more moral, more spiritual, more theologically disciplined, right? It's not because you pray more, read your Bible more. At this point, Peter's had more close contact with Jesus than anyone else. 
your spiritual competency uh, is actually a, is just a false sense of like, I've got this because the, your struggle is just different than other people's struggle. Right? Like, I, like, I don't, it's a terrible example. Like, I don't struggle with drug addiction because I've never tried, like, it's just not my thing. But I do struggle with all kinds of other fears and insecurities and lust. Like, there are all kinds of struggles deep within my own heart. Right? And I come from a family of addiction, and when I say that, right? So when I look at my family and I look at lives that have been lost to drugs and to alcohol, it's sometimes easy for me to kind of look at that and go, well, I'm a pastor. I didn't, I didn't go down that path, thank God. But it's because I'm not inclined to struggle in that way. But the places that the lust in my own heart has taken me, you guys might look at some of that and go, I can't believe he's gone there. The way some of my own insecurities, the way that my own uh, fear and shame guide me sometimes, you guys will probably look at some of that and go, I can't believe he struggles with that. And so the first thing we see <clears throat> about spirituality here from Peter is that he has this false sense of competency. Not only that, like Jesus is actually quoting scripture and Peter's like, actually, but it also doesn't apply to me. Like that, that all that'll fall away. Like he, like there should have been like a little, you know, an asterisk somewhere, like except Peter. And so even in the midst of, we can do this, even in the midst of like scripture being like read to us or, or taught to us, we can look at it and go, yes, I hear all fall short of the glory of God. None are deserving of his grace, but also I'm still pretty good, right? Like I've got somewhere in there, like there's a little bit, there should be an asterisk somewhere with my name on it, like a footnote if you have a study Bible. This proved true for all the rest of humanity, but so-and-so, right? Like, that's what Peter's done here. Like, just look at kind of the boldness at which he said, this doesn't apply to me. And that's when Jesus says, not only does it apply to you, but it actually applies to you way more than you think it does. It's not just that you're going to fall away. You're going to deny me. Okay, so, so this is where I want to uh, do a couple of things. And I've been picking on theology the last couple of weeks. Um, I haven't run too many people off yet. Uh, like, and really, like, again, I, I never want to, like, please hear me say, theology is important. I have a job because of theology. We want to have good theology. But also, many of us, because we come from Reformed traditions, from the Reformation, that's what most of us have come from, um, if you grew up in, with a Catholic background, this might be a little bit different, but like with Reformed traditions, there's this sense of if my theology's good, if it's robust enough, if it's deep enough, I can't fail God. Like if I've got enough handle on it, I can see how like all of this applies and doesn't apply in my life, and I can, I can, I can kind of maneuver my way in a way that's competent. But I actually think Mark is kind of undermining theology here for just a second. Because Peter's just read this scripture verse that applies to him. By God, God's like, this applies to you. And Peter's like, no, it doesn't. And so Peter's actual like theological understanding is laid out and he still misses it. He has this deep, and he misses it, not because like up here he's got it wrong. It's because in here he doesn't quite understand what it means to be spiritually healthy, what it means to be intimate with Jesus. Most importantly, he doesn't understand his need. For Jesus. 
most significantly, he doesn't understand his vulnerability in Jesus. Most significantly, he doesn't understand how desperately like, weak he actually is, how much in desperate need he actually is. And this is how Peter misses it. And so for most of us, when we land at this point, I want to just, like, I want to just, I'm going to push us a little bit this morning with grace, okay? Jesus has just said, not only are you going to fail me, but you're going to do it, like, with a lot of intentionality, okay? This is kind of how this Mark is setting this up. Not only are you not going to uh, fulfill or do what it is that I've called you to, but you're going to do it with some actual intentionality on your part. What then does God do with us? What then does Jesus do with Peter? So I think most of us, when we sin or when we fail God, we kind of come to him with a sort of an after-the-fact kind of mentality. I'm really sorry I blew it. I'm really sorry, like, that I'm not the parent I should be, that I'm not the, like, the, the spouse that I should be, that I'm doing these, like, the, that I have these addictions that I shouldn't have. Like, I'm really sorry uh, that I failed in some kind of way. Would you keep, like, would you just, please don't send me away. I'm really, like, like this is where we kind of go, like, our, our view of repentance is almost as always um, done in the context of after the fact, after we've done it. But what Mark is subtly actually trying to paint here is a picture is God knew long before you ever made that move, failed in that way, made that decision long before. And not only that, he understood that you would do it with way more intentionality than you probably give yourself credit for. And so for most of us, we kind of end up in this place where either our guilt or our shame kicks in, and we need to go, we go, I need to do better, right? I need to be better, or, or our intellectualism kicks in. Some of us are that way, and it's like, I just need to know more. If I study my Bible more, like, I won't end up in this space again. If I would just do more devotions, more scripture, have more competency in sort of the religious duties, I'd make it. We kind of end up in one of these two spaces. This is the picture that Mark's painting, but both of these spaces, doing more, being more, or knowing more, are going to both prove completely inadequate for Peter. So the question is, in this moment, what does Jesus do? When Peter's theological understanding is sufficient, but isn't going to carry him through. When Peter's lack of his own self-awareness is not there, what does Jesus do? Verse 32, they went to the place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Then he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Okay, Mark's thrown a couple of very subtle things at us here, but I want to I finish, I want to land with where he finishes in this paragraph. 
Jesus says, stay here. You're going to fail me with more intentionality than you realize. Stay here with me. Don't leave me. Stay here and keep watch with me. When Jesus invites them to pray, Peter, James, and John, he shows them that he is deeply distressed and troubled. Here, so I want, I want to, like, so I want us to, like, really kind of take our, like, intellectual hats off for just a second. When Jesus knows that Peter is about to fail him, Jesus actually brings Peter into more vulnerability. He says, come with me and let me show you how troubled my heart is right now. Did you see how, like, how opposite this is of what we would expect? Jesus is inviting Peter into this vulnerability. I'm in this space and I need you. Come stay with me, Peter. I am distressed. I am troubled. Stay with me. So this idea that God needs us um, is hard for us in the West for a couple of reasons. Um, just our philosophy and the Reformation uh, and the Enlightenment have kind of influenced. I'm not going to go into all of that. Um, but this idea that God needs you, uh, I think, is actually very foreign to us. Okay, but there are multiple times in all of the Gospels where Jesus needs the people around him. He needs them to feed him. When he goes to visit this, the woman at the well in Samaria, he needs her to draw water for him because he has nothing to draw water from. Like he's constantly inviting people into this vulnerable space where he needs them. I think this is something that our spirituality in the, the West, we have lost. One, because we've intellectualized so much of it. But two, we often see uh, our God as sort of uh, this invincible, like, all, and he is all these things, and, like, we're kind of, he's up here, and we're down here, and, like, all, or, like, our real goal here is to, like, measure up enough to where he tolerates us enough to get into heaven. But so many of the first Greek Orthodox theologians, they wrestled with this, and the word that they would choose to describe God's love for humanity was eros. We've talked about this before. Uh, which sometimes can imply like sexual like passion or longing. And you're like, that's really inappropriate. Uh, but they were very intentional about this. They, there was something deep inside God they saw longed to be with us, with you. There is something deep inside of God that the theologians, like when they were searching for a word, they're like, I don't know what, like, what kind of word I can think of other than it's got to be something powerful, like just the sexual longing. And again, I'm not like, I want to be very careful with saying like there's sexual longing. That's not at all what I'm implying. But what they were struggling with is trying to find a word that described this deep longing that God had for intimacy with you, with them. There is this deep longing inside of God that longs for, like, close, vulnerable, intimate connection with you. Even when your theology is bad, or you've just been informed, like, uh, he knows that you're going to intentionally fail him, 
beyond just like I had a weak moment, like there's gonna be some intentionality, I'm gonna act out in a way out of my character that doesn't make, like, like, like there's gonna be some, even in that midst of like I'm gonna actively and willfully and intentionally rebel against him, like dishonor him, move away from him, he in love for you draws you in. This is the picture that Mark's painting here. He in vulnerability, he in love, like draws you. Doesn't like he because he could very easily right here say, Peter, you're just you're gonna deny me. So like I'm gonna set a boundary with you. I'm gonna leave you here, okay? And when I'm resurrected, we'll work it out. But like for from here on out, like you're probably not gonna be safe for me to be. Like I'm gonna have to cut you off. Like that could have very easily been the conversation. Instead, Jesus says, Come, stay here with me. Let me show you how I'm hurting right now. Let me show you what's going on deep inside of my own heart. And God approaches you with that same kind of vulnerability, that same kind of willful longing. That same kind of need. Even in your most rebellious moments towards him. Even in your most intentionally sinful moments. Even in those moments when you did that thing again that you said you'd never do and you snap at your kids in a way that leaves you feeling like a terrible parent again. The ways that you continuously seem to fail or not measure up and in these moments God doesn't say I'm cutting you off like I'm holding you here like hang on. He says come with me. Keep watch with me. And he shows us his love and vulnerability. This is the furious longing of God. Another phrase that Brendan Manning uses for you. That most of us will spend our whole lives relatively afraid to embrace. Either because we've intellectualized it too much, we rely on our theology too much, or we have just not come to grips, uh, we have not come to terms, is the way I like to phrase it, with this, this kind of love. It looks at your weakest, most shameful parts and says, stay with me. So, uh, starting in verse 35, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed, that if possible, the hour might pass from him. He prays, Abba, Father. Okay, so that word Abba is a very like tender word for endearment. And he prays to God the Father. Abba is like saying, Daddy. Okay, my little girl calls me Papa. There's this like, my God, this deep like Daddy. Okay, so a couple weeks ago we talked about just this idea that Mark's gospel, there's a lot of this like language of like being little children, which again is difficult for us. Right? We want to be competent adults, we want to be competent spiritual practitioners, right? We want to be competent Christians. But Jesus in his darkest moments says, Daddy, when he calls out to God. There's this like tenderness to it, this vulnerability to it. And he says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. All right, so I want to stop here for just a second. Most of us have, I think, 
um, uh, maybe I'll just speak for myself, like a lackadaisical prayer life. Uh, and that's because most of the time my prayer life consists a lot of asking God for things. To do this for me, could you help me with this situation? Could you change this person? Could you get through to this, right? Like there's just a lot of like, God, would you help me like solve my problems? Um, I, I think actually when we do that, we eventually we just kind of get bored because we have so many problems and it's like, I just, I keep kind of asking and I don't know, like some of them fix and some of them don't. Um, Putting that aside, there are also moments in our prayer life where there are deep longings of our heart that seemingly go unmet. Okay, I'm not talking about the, like, God, my spouse is driving me crazy again. Would you get through to them? Like, right? Like, those kind of moments, like, good, a good marriage therapist, really. Like, um, but then there are moments when we're praying, like, God, please show up here. Do you not see how important this is to me? How much this means to me? How much wholeness this would bring to me? Like how much restoration this would bring? Do you not see the longing that I have for this right now? Do you not see me? Like I'm talking about these deeper parts of our, like the parts of ourselves either that we wish we could change and never have, the parts of our, like, like relationships we wish could heal and never did, the parts of our, like, uh, our own brokenness that just doesn't seem to get fixed. That, I'm talking about that part when we're like in that moment of prayer where we're, ver- we're on the urge of either anger or bitterness or disillusion, and, and we're praying to God, like, God, would you, do you see this? Most often in those situations, too, we don't even know what the solution is. We're like, did you just, could you just see, though? Like, could you do something? Because you can do all things. This is the language that Jesus is using. It's everything is possible for you. There's nothing that you can't do. So if you would, take this from me. And so I want to enter into some of like the emotional processing with Jesus here in this space. We, we, we tend to look at this space and, and kind of see the, I don't know, we, we see the, the we, we can feel very removed from this. Like, well, he's Jesus. He's perfect. Of course, when he prays like this and doesn't get what he wants, like, of course, he's going to stay faithful. But I want us to kind of go through the emotional processing with Jesus here for a second. Jesus says, all things are possible for you. He's not being sentimental. He's expressing like, hey, what's about to happen? I know that you can do something about it. Like, you are God. You are almighty God. You are sovereign. You are the Father. Like, you hold all things together in whom and by whom and through whom all things have been made. You can do something here. Listen to the way that he processes this. This is, right, so this is, Bark is painting this as a vulnerable moment, not a theological lesson. Abba, Daddy, you can fix this. I know you can. You're big enough to, you're loving enough to, like you're sovereign enough to. There's no reason that there's nothing that would like prevent you from it. Daddy, take this cup from me. Okay, what, what you just see here in these, these two lines, these three lines, is Jesus just asked for like the deepest longing of his heart. And God seemingly says no. God seemingly stays silent. God is seemingly dismissal, dismisses it. Daddy, all things are possible for you. Papa, Father, 
You're the one that holds all things together. Do you not see what I'm about to go through right now? Take this from me. Okay, we haven't gotten to the last line of the prayer yet. Let's stay with, like, I want to walk us through the emotions of the prayer. You can do this. Okay, most of us, I think our faith breaks right here. Most of us are, are just our anger, our bitterment, our disillusionment towards God. All of that right here, like this is the crux. This is where I think faith is lost or, or like, built, like actually deepened here. We haven't gotten to the final line. He says, Abba, Daddy, you, you're God. You can fix this. I know you can. You're all powerful. You can. So fix it. Take this from me. Okay, this isn't false, uh, uh, like, spiritual display. He's now with his intimate three, Peter, James, and John. Right? Sometimes, like, in Bible studies when we pray, we're like, God, you know, help me, please. Like, we're kind of, like, we, we kind of mean that, but also we're kind of, like, saying it to, like, as a display for the other people around us. That's not what's happening here. Jesus is genuinely deep inside his soul wrestling with, you could fix this, and you love me. And this is where most of us land with, are you dismissing me? Do you see? So what do we do in that moment? Jesus finishes with, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Okay, so he finds a place of being able to say, you could fix all of this, you could reach this deep longing in my heart. And yet, I know that you love me. Abba. Daddy. So whatever comes, I know it's going to pass through your hands. Because you haven't given up on me. Because you're my daddy, my Abba. Fix this. I know you can, but Whatever does happen, I anchor it on your love for me. Okay, so Mark ties in these two kind of seemingly unrelated points here for just a second. Peter has just been told, I'm going to, not only are you going to fall away, but you're going to actively and willfully rebel against me, deny me, like dishonor me. Come stay with me. Jesus has prayed and God has seemingly dismissed or unacknowledged that deep longing in his heart. But Jesus does the same thing. He claims, Abba, Father, not, you, not my will, but yours. There's this surrender to, I know that you are loving and you are good and you never push me away. You never cut me off. That's not what happens to Peter and it's not what's happening to Jesus. So whatever's going to happen to me is going to pass through your hands and I can do that. I can rest in that knowing that you have my good in my Like you love me. That you long for intimacy with me. So whatever's coming, whatever it is that your sovereign will is, is bringing about, is orchestrating, I know you love me. Because even Peter, who is actively rebelling against God, is brought into intimacy with God, with Jesus, who is fully God. You see the picture that Mark's starting to paint here? 
that in our most desperate moments or in our most shameful moments, either one of those, God is bringing us in, drawing us in, in vulnerability to him. So that in those moments when the deeper longings of our hearts don't seemingly get met, when we pray and pray and pray and the solution and the fix isn't found, we rest in that love. We know that God's longing. Like that is, and so Mark often, by the way, doesn't, provide like these thoughtful theological resolutions to things. He often kind of leaves us in the space of wrestling with this. The deep longings of my heart, God seems to like could fix but doesn't. But I also know that he never sends me away and he loves me profoundly, deeply, and longs for intimacy with me. So I've got to hold these two and wrestle with these two. Okay, so like as a pastor, I wrestle with people in this space often, and I'm very many, more often than not, they want to know, like, why is this happening? Is he punishing me for something? And I want to just dispel that right now. Whatever it is that you carry and have struggled with your entire life, whatever, like, spaces you feel like God doesn't see you, that is not, he's punishing you. There's no allowance for that in this text. There's no allowance in, the, in, that, in this vulnerable moment for that that he longs for you, he desires to be with you, he desires to be in a vulnerable space with you because he needs you. And this idea of like, does God need us, what does that mean? That's a whole other sermon. But for now, I want to leave us with this space. Um, Jesus doesn't get what he prays for either. So we think about that for a second. He prays and doesn't get it. At least not the way he's asking for it. And yet, just like Peter, he says, I'll never do this, and he does. In both of these instances, Abba, your daddy, who longs for intimacy and vulnerability and connection with you, needs you and moves for you, moves towards you, doesn't send you away. And so we'll end with the text the way that this whole passage ends. There's a few verses I skip for the sake of time. And you're like, that's for the sake of time? You're still, um, but starting in verse 42, Jesus says this. This is how it finishes with, rise, let us go. All of this, Peter, your denial of me, your failure of me. God's silence even when I'm asking this deep thing know that he loves me. So get up. Go with me. Let's keep going together. This is what Jesus is saying to Peter. In the midst of his greatest failure, which hasn't even happened yet. Rise. Go with me. Come on. I'm not cutting you off. This is the kind of love that Jesus has for us. Uh, let me pray for us uh, as we close with communion and worship this morning. Father, um, I must admit that we wrestle with this type of love. We wrestle with feeling like um, you see the deepest longings of our hearts. We wrestle with feeling like in the absence of that, that you must be punishing us for something. We must have denied you too many times. We must have failed you too much. But this passage in your love shows us that even when we're worse than we ever thought we could be, you love us.
you draw near to us. Even when our failure is uh, more intentional than we'd like to admit that it is, you draw near to us because we need you, Father. And you need us. And we fail to see that. We wrestled with that. We struggle to see that. So we spend our lives feeling very rejected by you, pushed away by you, ignored by you, dismissed by you, because we haven't quite seen just how much you love us just yet. So Father, would you help us come to terms with your love for us? Help us to come to terms with your need for us this week. I pray these things in your name. Amen.